Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static, and Mark and I are joined by our colleague, Andrew Morris, who has been um, uh, working on the Newman matter. And I call it the Newman matter because it's in many different areas. It's in district court. It's before the federal circuit, um, and it's moving on a lot of tracks. Before the federal circuit in an administrative proceeding, it's important to say. Correct. Yeah. In an administrative proceeding. So welcome. Good morning, John. And um, I, I... And Andy's a... Is, is a rookie here on administrative static, so yeah. we should be kind to him. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we, we certainly will. And uh, the only only way he's a rookie, I would say, as far as the law is concerned. But but that is that is true. So this is your your first appearance, and I think um, one of the things that we want to talk about today, uh, because there is so much swirling around in this there case, sure is. Um, the the uh, there's been a theme, and part of the theme is the for the for the federal circuit is. They have been claiming that Judge Newman, uh, he's 96, and they always say that, uh, to in- intimate that there's something wrong with her uh, legal abilities. And one of the things I find um, it, would be, it would be funny if it wasn't so outrageous is the fact that she's issuing opinions and dissents from the cases she had, <laughs> and they look great. And so they come out with these things. Oh, it's very, it's, it, oh, there's all these problems, Judge Newman, and then another opinion comes out and another and another. So it, 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 that has been one sort of thing that's happened throughout this case. And then the Supreme Court grants cert on an en banc from the federal circuit where her dissent was the, the dissent below from the en banc. Exactly. <laughs> So uh, there's a there's a lot going on, but so this week I'll just tee it up. Um, the we have moved for a preliminary injunction in the district court on behalf of Judge Newman to uh, basically have her uh, resume her judicial duties, which have been wrongfully canceled by the by the federal circuit. I think it's fair to say, and um, and the government has come back and they have a long uh, brief with lots of attachments. I don't want to go into it, but what is remarkable, I, I think is that once again, they start out in their facts section, disturbing behavior by Judge Newman. Um, But I think that we have uh, a lot of um, new material that our listeners can go take a look at coming out this week uh, that shows that this is all nonsense. It's nonsense all the way down. And Andy, can you Tell us what what's been coming out. Sure, that that is exactly right, John. Uh, and I'll note on your before I answer your question on your point about the opinions coming out. Third parties also third part. Before I get to the doctors, I'll start with the lawyers. Third party observers, experts on the court, have been scrutinizing her opinions uh, that have come out recently, as well as her talks at conferences and and all of her public conduct. And she's passed with flying colors. Uh, nobody's come out and criticized her opinions. They're as sharp as ever. And she's uh, got quite a reputation for that over the years. She is not appearing like a Diane Feinstein or, dare I say, a Joe Biden in her public appearances. She's she's very sharp and and with it and uh, articulate and so forth. 
no one is giving her instructions about when to walk off stage. She, <laughs> she, she's writing complex opinions and getting high, high marks right. from and, neutral observers. And she's not hiding in a hole either. She's been out at these judicial yes. conferences as, as recently as this summer. Um, I think in June and May and all this, this is coming from. So it's not like it's long ago that these lawyers are at conferences where she is. Intellectual property patent law conferences. That's right. And, and as to the doctors, you asked, John, and she's been um, she's been examined by two different medical people. And uh, one is uh, you know, far from going far to find somebody. She, she she went to someone right in town and she's been she's been examined by a uh, by a neurologist, uh, Dr. Ted Rothstein, and she more recently was examined by a, uh, had an extensive examination by a forensic psychologist. And I think that's what you're referring to was released uh, that, that, right. that uh, we just made that public. And this forensic psychologist gave uh, uh, Judge Newman a uh, three hour significant cognitive exam that, that addresses the kind of concerns that would come up in a case like this. And, and Judge Newman passed his flying colors and the, uh, the doctor gave some very strong language about uh, the, the high level cognitive abilities of, of, of uh, Judge Newman. And so the gist of it is that Judge Newman has been examined by two different medical professionals of two different kinds and has passed both his flying colors and turning to, to those experts, there's no evidence. The evidence is the contrary. There's no evidence of cognitive issues. And to the contrary, she now has two different uh, doctors in two different fields who don't know each other, who reach the same conclusion. And I also thought, you know, we do a lot of now analytics in the law about how many times words are used and what words are used and all this. So the folks in the law who are examining her opinions are comparing them to previous opinions and seeing if there's any change or problem with syntax and order and logic. And so that's what you were discussing, right? That's the type of analysis that high-level legal analysis being done of her opinions. I don't know the opinion, yeah. but I understand they're doing that sort of analysis to find out if there's any change in, in, in her work, which she's which she's quite the legendary reputation right. over the years, and they don't see any change in, in her work. And I think, and, and specifically, one of the things that, that is cited in the video that that we brought out this week, and that folks should go to nclalegal.org. Go to our YouTube page. They can see this this video. They can see Judge Newman in the video in her own words, evaluate for themselves if they want to do so. But one of the things they'll see in that video is a quote from former Chief Judge Randall Rader of the Federal Circuit, who who says that, you know, he he's spoken with her several times uh, since all of this came out. And he sees the same person that he's always seen in the you know, 40 years that he's been you know working with her on on the federal courts and so forth. So you have these, it's not just neutral third party observers who don't know her. It's people who have known her for a long time who've said, look, I knew her back then. I know her now. Same person. And along those lines, Mark, I'd act, I, that's even, even a bigger point I'd say, even than you made, which is one thing that's unusual to someone who's a, a neutral observer coming to this case to get oriented about what makes sense is that what's unusual is three different former chief judges, uh, two from this court, have taken the unusual step of going public with criticisms of, of, in two cases, their successors, one of someone from another court. And in the judiciary, particularly the appellate level, judges are hesitant to do that sort of thing. And so it's very unusual that these three very well-respected uh, former chief judges have gone public with, uh, primarily in a position, of, uh, on the procedural position, that this should not be decided by her colleagues 
deciding uh, these kind of issues we're talking about. Uh, we talk at some point about they Googled the medical test to get some recent conclusions about it. But these three chief judges have gone public uh, supporting Judge Newman about at least about transferring her matter. And I, I, I jumped on that when you mentioned it, Mark, because that is a good marker to the outsider that Judge Newman's position here is very well grounded. Her approach to this makes sense because she's getting this unusual level of support without anybody coming in on the other side. And, That's and, a great point. And it is and it is true as well as uh, that that we don't see this too often. And I really think that it is um, it's extraordinary. And I, I think why we we focus so much on these tests and the fact that she's going on. She she's having interviews. I think it was Bloomberg or the Wall Street Journal. I forget now because there's been a lot of coverage of this. But the reporter went out of her way to write. You know, I was in there with her for three hours, and and there was no notes. There was nobody with her. This whole article comes from me going in there and talking to her for a very long time. And the reporter didn't have to write that. But I but I bet you anything. And this is what the federal circuit's doing. That I think is insidious. They want to say ninety six years old and everyone have a mental image. And that reporter went into that room and she had that mental image because that's what the federal circuit wanted her to believe. And then she was so shocked. She even put it in her article that this is what I did. This is what I saw. And and the reports of the doctors are very similar to that. And the statements of the judges who've talked to her. And that makes this worse. And, I, and the reason it makes it worse is because this type of judicial removal without impeachment as required by the Constitution is now pointed every judge over the age of 75 in this country. Now, there are plenty of judges over the age of 75, or could it be even 60 or 65? There's no cutoff of how you can do this to a person if you just say, oh, there's all these concerning things, and then you say their age, and you have everybody worried about it, and now we don't have to follow the Constitution to remove them. Every judge over 75, I don't know if it's a correction or not, over 75, who, whom colleagues have a reason to want to have removed, whether to replace that judge or for whatever reason. So it, it, like so many of these procedures, the concern is it would be selectively, even worse because it's selectively applied. It's a problem anyway, but the concern is that it can be selectively applied depending on the power level in different circuits and on different courts. And that's and a threat. create a huge problem. And that's a threat to judicial independence for all of these judges. That's exactly right. And this is why every, I, I think, this is one of the reasons. The other reason is, of course, they're witnesses. But this is the reason why all these cases are transferred to another circuit. And if you don't, if if you're not, if you're not looking at this just to get an outcome, why wouldn't you say, let this cup pass from me? Right? You'd say, I don't want this. Let the cup pass to someone else and let them handle it, um, and let them do it because this isn't going to be no good for our court. This is going to be no good personally because it's distasteful. Um, and yet this has been held on to um, in, in spite of all um, precedent. And these statements have been constantly made about the judge that nobody else is seeing, that only the people who are trying to get rid of her, who have, have taken this whole uh, case upon themselves, are saying this. And the concern you're flagging, John, is what brought the other triggered the other chief judges into going public. And it's so strange and to, to give the context. And so what you have here, it's an administrative matter, not deciding a case. It's an administrative matter. But the deciders are her colleagues who are active judges, no more, no less than she is, who will sit on cases with her. Uh, it's a very, it's a very close relationship. And that's why you're, that's why it is such a problem. There's no question. And um, well, I, I want to join Mark here and, and Andy and, and, 
please go to our website and take a look at this video and um, and go on the go on the internet. There's other interviews with uh, Judge Newman. So go take a look for yourself and make your own decision. And we'll be right back. Thank you, Andy. Welcome back to Administrative Static. Um, the last case I want to discuss is kind of a fun one, and it wasn't ours, but um, I I find it uh, very useful and also um, very illuminating about, look, we have all these administrative agencies, but they aren't allowed to do everything. And this case really shows that. And it's a case out of the Fifth Circuit by uh, it's called APTER versus De Department of Health and Human Services. And um, I, I noticed this was the same panel as you had in the, uh, in the it, Missouri v. Biden case. Was it heard the same week? Uh, I think it I think it must have been. But why aren't they out with my decision? <laughs> why are they rushing for <laughs> these I, people? Know, just, this <laughs> this is an emergency application. Yeah, Come just, on, will it? And Rod, what are you doing? Swanning around with these these people who could have waited on this. Well, we Don't are tapping our feet, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, no. So, so um, it is an interesting case, though, because uh, I'll just give you a little background. The FDA approves drugs for sale in the United States, okay? Drugs and devices. But here we're talking drugs. And, um, but the statutes are very clear. The FDA is not allowed to practice medicine. It cannot practice. It cannot do anything to doctors. That's not what it can do. It can only uh, approve the sale of drugs in the United States to show that they're safe and effective for whatever the FDA has found they're safe and effective for. But they're not. But then when this these drugs get out, so many drugs are approved by the FDA. And then when they become in wide use, doctors start using them for other things. And, in, and then they write articles about whether you should do this or not. And this is how medicine expands. And in a previous life, I was a um, it's called off-label use, off-label of, use. Of but there's nothing illegal about it. And no, in, in fact, it's the standard of care many times. Correct. And so I was uh, suing pharmaceutical companies, and we would talk about this all the time about how they they're not supposed to push off-label use, but they often do through various methods and all this sort of thing. But everyone recognizes that you're going to find out that these these drugs sometimes have. Um, effects that were not studied for. But when you start take them out of the studies and they start affecting millions of people, doctors start seeing things. I mean, this is this is how you've gotten the uh, the hair products. Propecia, to, yeah, all I that stuff. That, exactly. It was for uh, blood pressure. But it causes hair, your hair it, to grow Yeah, back. exactly. They're for all like, people. ah, your hair, your, your blood pressure has gone down and look, you're not bald. Uh, maybe <laughs> we found something here. So, so that, that might lower your blood pressure. Exactly. <laughs> so that's what's going on. And so... Um, that's what this case is about. And but COVID came along and all the agencies thought they had the ability to do everything. And Judge Willett starts out his opinion with the quote, you are not a horse, which is what the FDA started sending out 
on intervec intermec inter ivermectin. So ivermectin was a drug that was used for various things, and some doctors were provided were were using the human dose, not the horse dose that you've seen on all the internet. The human dose they were prescribing to their patients in early stages of um, preventing COVID. And many of them still are for that. And, and certainly in the early days, many people were. And they, they, some of them found good results. And they are allowed to do that. They, they are the ones talking to their patients. But the FDA got in all upset about it. They said, we have not approved it for this. Well, the FDA has approved drugs for what they've approved them for, and it's on the label, and they're, every drug company in the country is required by law to put what it is approved for by the FDA on the label and what the known side effects are of the drug. And that is what the FDA is there for. That is its mission. That is, that is the whole reason it came into being is to stop um, uh, drugs being sold that hadn't been proved to do X, Y, or Z. And that's all they do. They are not the worldwide distributor of medical knowledge, but that's what they tried to be. They can't even forbid you from doing certain dosages. So if, no. like the movie Awakenings, I don't know if people remember that one, but, but Dr. Oliver Sacks was famous for this experiment where he kept upping the dosages. And I can't remember what the medicine was now, but he woke people up out of these comatose states by doing something that was an off-label, off-label use. Right. So. And, and, and so, uh, these three doctors sued and they said, listen, we do this and the FDA's scaring our patients. It's scaring everybody in the world and it's interfering with our practice of medicine. And the FDA came back and said, well, we're, we have free speech. We can do what we want. We can talk whenever we like and all this stuff. And the Fifth Circuit wasn't having any of it because they, they certainly didn't like you are not a horse. And so, um, and so, uh, so the FDA said it had received multiple reports of patients self-medicating with in Invermectin intended for livestock, right? I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what they were saying. And so- Well, they couldn't get it from doctors. So I think right. that was part of it. <laughs> Some people probably were, you know, had access to veterinary doses and no. probably were self-medicating, which no one's advocating. <laughs> so then it, it says here, the FDA has not authorized or approved in Invermectin for use in preventing or treating COVID-19 in humans or animals. And, um, and it says, Invermectin is approved for human use to treat infections caused by some parasitic worms and head lice and skin, to skin conditions like rosacea. Currently available data do not show Invermectin is effective against COVID-19. Clinical trials assessing Invermectin tablets for the prevention or treatment of COVID-19 people are ongoing. Well, these doctors might know about that, might even be in those programs, might have patients in them for all we know. Taking large doses of Invermectin is dangerous. If your healthcare provider writes you an Invermectin prescription, fill it through a legitimate source such as a pharmacy and take it exactly as prescribed. Okay. Uh, never use medications intended for animals on yourself or other people. Animal Invermectin products are very different from those approved for humans. Use of animal Invermectin for the prevention or treatment of COVID-19 in humans is dangerous. And so they go on with this whole thing. And they the, the upshot of it is, uh, they then go on Twitter and the social media and say, you are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. And they, you are not a horse. Stop Hasht it. Hashtag Ivermectin. Yes, yeah, stop with the Invermectin. It's not authorized for treating COVID. Hold your horses, y'all. Invermectin may be trending, but it still isn't authorized or approved or treat to treat COVID-19. So the FDA has put all this stuff out there, and the FDA is not supposed to practice medicine. 
and they started um, interfering. These doctors found that all of their statements were interfering with the prescriptions of Invermectin. Um, I think some of them were even getting pushback from the pharmacies. And they said, look, I think this would be good for my patient to prescribe it. Um, and so what the doctors asked, what the doctors asked for was to uh, set the posts aside and declare them unlawful, declare the FDA cannot interfere with the practice of medicine, declare the FDA cannot issue statements or directives about how or whether health professionals should use Invermectin off-label to treat patients, and that such FDA actions have no legal effect and do not bind health professionals or patients. Because, of course, what they're worried about is the old plaintiff's attorneys are going to come and say, aha, look what the FDA said, and you're doing this. Doesn't that show that the... Well, that shouldn't even be allowed in evidence. The FDA has no authority, no knowledge, no nothing on this. No expertise. None. But I bet you they were afraid of that in such state court somewhere and then enjoined the FDA from engaging in such actions. And the FDA moved to dismiss the whole thing. And they said, ah, oh, these aren't final actions, all the stuff we get all the time. And the court said, no, 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 no. It, it's ultra virus um, for you to, to do this. You're not even allowed to do this as an administrative agency. You are, you are practicing medicine here, and you have been very strictly warned against it. And none of this would have been controversial 10 years ago. This was standard legal precedent that the FDA is not allowed to interfere with the practice of medicine. It, it is like the red line of FDA procedure. But here, with everything that happened during COVID, the whole emergency, the whole whole of government, every agency felt itself an expert on everything. And partly that's because the states are responsible for licensing doctors and regulating the practice of medicine. Correct. And, and it's also that they didn't want... Um, they didn't want a federal agency to take that over, and and I didn't. I think even today's AMA would be against it, and so they they never got that power, and it's been close. It's been uh, closely guarded by the medical profession for all this time because sometimes um, they do want to try some of these drugs, and as long as they're safe and effective, meaning it's not it's 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 the, the drug isn't a poison, <laughs> um, they may want to try it. Um, so uh, the they had won the FDA won in the district court, by the way, and so the FDA the Fifth Circuit has overturned this one, and uh, they they tried they tried sovereign immunity. The Fifth Circuit threw aside that and said, "No, wait a second, this is ultra-virus. When ultra-virus means you know a completely unlawful, when it's completely unlawful that they're doing to you, you do get to say something under the APA, and so um, so." Uh, but the doctors also had to allege that they were being affected by this. And I think they were being affected by this. This website, the FDA's websites and tweets and everything, certainly during COVID, were enormously um, uh, viewed. Yeah, and hostile. And hostile. And then, of, of course, you also had the um, echo chamber of all the TV and the Internet and all the other. Uh, uh, I think Joe Rogan got raked over the coals for this, right? Um so it was a big controversy, and the FDA wasn't supposed to be weighing in as a medical provider. Um, and so um, the Fifth Circuit was very open to this. They, they did find there wasn't final agency action, but that, that didn't stop them from having the case proceed under ultra-virus. Um, and so, um, so I, I think that the fact that the FDA didn't argue that it actually does have authority to issue advice – was the problem here because they found that all these statements were not just information. They were saying what the advice should be for everybody, and that they're not allowed to do. 
And so I think we see this a lot now with, uh, oh, we're the government. We're allowed to speak. You can't stop us speaking. But there are certain things the government's not allowed to do. As we argue Missouri v. Biden, they can't shut you up and say, turn off this guy because I'm the arbiter of truth. Here, the FDA was trying to do it again. We are the arbiters of truth in the practice of medicine. And they even put out a, a, a brochure, I think, why you should not use Invermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19. And then they're trying to say that they're not giving medical advice. Well, I can't think of, of, of a more sharp uh, example of medical advice. So interesting case. I would take a look at uh, APTER v. Department of Health, number 20-408-02 in the Fifth Circuit. And uh, certainly um, it was a fun case. Of course, the FDH was not.